0: Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z. Jeffrey Salaji. So glad to have you here with us today. Season two is afoot and we are starting another journey into human nature. This time we're looking at the role passages play in the lives of my guests, the initiations, the transformations, the accidental, the intentful. Hold tight and listen in because we are about to journey into another incredible and beautiful series of conversations. Let's get into it. Here we go. Here we go. Jennifer Barrett Wilson, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: As you know, season two is about passages and the passages in our lives. And you've been a great ally for me as a writer, Mm -hmm. helping me develop my book. And I I really, really appreciate those skills and talents you've brought into my life to help me sort through my thoughts. And you do it so very well. But today I'm excited to turn the tables and invite you here and, and support you and listen to you about the stories of the passages you've been going through. The one that we want to start with is this passage into motherhood. And I actually met you, I think right before motherhood came to you.
1: I think right after, I'm pretty sure we had river and he was like two weeks old, which now looking back is absolutely insane. We did like a day long workshop together.
0: Okay. So river was there.
1: Yeah. It was one of those like new parent mistakes of thinking I could be focused on something other than him for eight hours straight.
0: And it just didn't work.
1: Well, uh, it was hard. I I have another baby now and the, uh, commitment I made to myself and sort of the prayer when I was pregnant was, um, just say no <laughs> to everything for as long as it takes for it to be a real yes. I, I had a lot of, um, aspirational yeses at that time when, when my first was a baby.
0: So would you say, just say no, was that like to honor your limitations and that you really couldn't do what you thought you could do? Is that was Totally. You, yeah.
1: Yeah. To honor the, like the sort of innate inwardness that comes when during pregnancy and during the first, frankly, for me, year of the baby's life.
0: How long did it take you to get clear that you needed to say no? Like how long did it take you to train that muscle? Because obviously that day was one of your teachings.
1: And it took a lot more of those So as you remember, you contributed to a book that we had coming out at that time, too. So there was really a whole year of balancing being a new parent and being a published author and all the things that come with that. And so it definitely came in phases. And it it did take the buildup of continuing to say yes and and take on commitments that I couldn't really be fully present to. One big rite of passage at that time was letting go of all my clients for a while. I completely stopped working when he was about eight months old and then slowly built back into it in the next year of his life. And then another iteration was that following summer when the book came out and there was a lot of publicity and a lot of events. And, and then I'm still learning it in subtler ways, like Especially doing a podcast <laughs> when I haven't had any sleep last night.
0: <laughs> well, um, I'm glad you're here. I'm, glad, I, I'm very glad you said yes to this. Cause I'm really glad <laughs> you're here. Too. And so we're. But now already... you
1: know it was a real yes.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And why? Why was it a yes for you? What was What was appealing to the invitation?
1: Well, I love your work. You know that. um, I feel like I am. So the young, the, our little guy is is nine months old now, and I feel like I am starting to come out of hibernation in a way. I mean, I'm sure coming out of the pandemic is related to that, but, um, it's interesting that the, like this, like nine month mark, and that's how long ish they're in utero. So I feel, even though I'm not sleeping well, I, I feel like there's more external energy to give, um, right now. And then mostly just, uh, when you shared the theme of season two, really couldn't help thinking about all the passages I've been through, the intentional ones, and then sort of in a bigger way, the unintentional ones, which I feel like most people in our culture, that's how they experience passages is there's no container for it. And I felt excited and inspired about sharing those stories. And also just that you're creating a space. I think that's how it becomes more normalized. This is a real thing that all humans go through.
0: That is exactly right on with what's been on my mind about passages. I could have easily name this rites of passage, but I know mm-hmm. that a lot of passages actually don't have rights around it or mm-hmm. the rites aren't overt. They're implicit somehow. And they happen in more subtle ways, even if there is some rituals around it. So I'm really glad you have the energy and the interest of bringing yourself back out of hibernation. I'm really glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm also really glad to, I'm really curious to witness more deeply the passage and the passages that you want to share. And mm-hmm. so it seems like we're in the motherhood zone right away in the parenting zone with the sleeplessness. I always <laughs> felt like when our children came around, Abby and Mirabelle, that that early time is such a training in insomnia
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, mean, it's and, like, and torture.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about the torture part. How's it, how is parenting that demanding that it feels like torture right now?
1: Oh, it's such a big question. Um, And I will say, I always feel a little bit of self-consciousness talking about this because I know there are like a lot of people that I love and respect. who don't have kids and there might be a way that they're not fully able to relate to this, but it's also so interesting because it is maybe one of the biggest common denominators we can have to any other human or that like a lot of humans have together is that they've been through this parenthood journey. Um, the torture part. So one thing I think of is your, um, I love what you write and talk about often about this idea of mismatch that like our societal structures are not set up in a way that makes sense for a lot of our basic biological needs and impulses. And I think I have felt that for a long time, but there's nothing like having a new baby to make you see that in the most painful way. Part of it is simply like, no matter when you lived or where, or what your circumstances were or privileges, it's just hard to have a baby. They especially if you're doing it in what I called um, intentional parenting or intuitive parenting, which is you're not going necessarily by the books or the doctor's orders, but what feels true or right in the moment. And so having a baby, you're just waking up every few hours. For my kids, sometimes every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes overnight, every single night for months and months. And for my oldest, for 14 months in a row, I had never tested my body or my brain in that way until that moment where I see the real mismatch. And to answer your question, I'm a working mom, um, with river, I worked for myself, my older son, I was working for myself. So I had a little more flexibility. Now I work a basically nine to five desk job and our Western capitalist profit driven sort of, sorry to be negative, but materialistic world really has no rights as in rite no ritual and also no structure for supporting women who have young children and also want to work or need to work actually <laughs> so there's that mismatch piece of it too of like all i should be doing from a biological perspective right now is feeding my baby making eye contact with my baby enjoying my baby resting every moment i can but what i'm what i need to do to make my life work in this world is sit at a desk and stare at a screen for nine hours a day. And I think that's where the biggest, the biggest challenge and the biggest suffering comes from. Then to add to that, it's not just that we have these jobs that we have to do. And most of them are not compatible with being a, you know, a full-time parent as well, but we don't have the tribe anymore, at least not in this country, unless you really are living in an alternative way, which we've considered doing many times. So instead of, the baby being taken care of by mom and dad and aunt and uncle and brother and sister and family members who are there to support and help the parents and the baby. We're doing it alone. It's like the dysfunction of the nuclear family. Yeah. Um
0: That's a lot of added stress, you know, definitely doing it with two parents, you know, it's a lot to carry and yeah. then the, the work part is a lot to carry too. And yeah. you know, like, Maybe a villager where you're farming, the baby's on your back a little bit. There's a little, you know, but screens are definitely command attention in a way that breaks that, as you said, that eye to eye contact. I'm also hearing the sleep deprivation story, you know, that, that <laughs> you have actually enduring some serious sleep deprivation. And yeah, we're not at our best for sure when we do that. So I really hear those hardships.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One thing that struck me so much becoming a mother, um I was listening to some of your other episodes and and your intro to this season talking about these extraordinary passages that people go through. In a way, becoming a parent is the most ordinary thing there is. It's something that until you do it, you don't think of it as anything significant or big. You decide to have kids and you have kids and then there you are, you're a parent. And there's something true about that too. It's the most natural, one of the most natural things we can do. Right. And yet as an individual, it shook me more than any other trial or passage intentional or not that I had ever been through until that moment. So it's ordinary and extraordinary at the same time. That was shocking to me.
0: (laughs) How did that land for you? How did the shock and the shake happen? Where did that show up?
1: I would say again in many ways throughout the early years of transitioning into parenthood but the the most significant and obvious was the day after the labor. And now this is different for me than it, than it would be for dad or someone who doesn't go through the birth and labor process but that oh I could just talk for days about my labor with both my my kids. Um and then of course the first one is just so beautiful and shocking because it was so new. The whole pregnancy with my older son, I had heard from women and other parents, you know, yeah, it's hard. Labor's hard. Labor's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Actually, I think I heard that from my whole life. (laughs) There's a lot of pressure on put on girls from a young age about motherhood and becoming a parent. And somehow it was always in my consciousness that labor is hard. It's going to hurt. But that doesn't nearly scratch the surface of what that experience is.
0: Would you be willing to talk about that experience some more?
1: I would love to talk about it. One of the ways I've described it to people who haven't been through labor is imagine someone who you trust fully gives you three tabs of LSD and you take it and you swallow it, swallow them. And then they look at you and say somewhere around nine months from now, though, I can't tell you exactly when those are all going to hit at once. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so if my so it altered your con- and-
0: <laughs> it, there was a, a consciousness altering element to this experience.
1: Absolutely. Hmm. Completely consciousness consciousness altering um more than any psychedelic I've ever done. Um it was more of a death of myself emotionally, spiritually, and like in a way physically than anything I'd ever experienced.
0: Okay. Keep talking Um, about why is, why is there dying there? It's not a a, a thing I commonly hear from women as a dying and the birthing, but I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Right. So that that's interesting too, is that I have a friend um, here in Asheville where I am, who's starting a a birth story sharing circle for this Mm -hmm. very reason. And what I'm saying too, is it was such a shock, um, the intensity of the experience because, In our sort of non-tribal community, we don't, we're not given the full extent of, and the beauty and the like sort of terror of the rite of passage of going through labor. It's not a commonly understood or discussed thing. Isn't that interesting when it's one of the most common things we humans do? Um, So what was so intense about it? I guess I can just go right into the details. I started contracting at 10 o'clock at night. Um, this was when I was living in California in the San Francisco Bay area, this was 2017. And I still have the paper from the day of my son's birth. It was that record heat wave. So it was 115 degrees outside that day in San Francisco. At the time we were living with my parents in my childhood home, really beautiful, but it was an Eichler, you know, built in California. So there was no air conditioning. (laughs) We had a little wall unit. So I think we got it down to like the high eighties or low nineties in the room I was in. So I, I did a home birth. I had a midwife um, and I went into labor 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. The contractions were slowly getting stronger throughout the night. My partner um, was able to sleep in the bed, which was next to me, which was really good. We needed all the strength we could get from him, but I couldn't sleep. Um, it was a combination of pain and excitement. Uh, maybe in the middle of the night, I was able to drift off between a few contractions. And then in the morning, my midwife came, I was already seven centimeters dilated. And for those of you who don't know how the birth process works, you just are slowly dilating. It can take days or hours from zero centimeters all the way to 10 centimeters. Your cervix is wide enough that you're ready to start pushing. So I was, I was um, in that transition period, seven centimeters to 10 centimeters, they call transition. And these are the most intense contractions of the whole process. Um, you're not pushing yet. So there's nothing really to do or to focus on, are but you your feeling, body is working.
0: Your body's working.
1: Yeah. Your body's working so hard, so hard. <laughs> and are to, you feeling
0: pain as it's working?
1: Oh, I mean, unimaginable. <laughs> and this is, this was, um, part of the passage for me was I consider myself a pretty strong person physically and spiritually. I have all kinds of spiritual practices for managing, emotions and physical pain meditation. Um, I'd been meditating for years consistently. Um, and I, and I, I'm an athlete, so I pushed myself physically a lot. And so with those two things, I thought there's nothing I can't handle. I'm going to be fine. Um, it'll be hard and it'll hurt, but I'm going to be fine. Turns out I couldn't handle it. <laughs> this was a uh, physical pain and exhaustion that pushed me to, past limits. I didn't even know were there.
0: And by the morning time, when you're at seven centimeters, are you already at that place where you're unable to endure what you're going through? Or was there still some time before you hit that wall?
1: It was starting then when my midwife got there, I was, I was, I felt like I was sort of in control if that's the right way to put it for another hour or so. I was also really blessed to have two good friends, um, river's godparents there who are musicians. So they were playing, the dig and guitar and singing with me and really doing all these supportive things to keep me out of my mind and in my body. But at a certain point, none of that mattered. There was no practice or tool that could make it easier or what's the word I'm looking for that could allow that that would let me be present with the pain So one of the memories I have, one of the few memories, it's such a blur, was before I was um, fully dilated, I was in transition, was lying on the bed, on my hands and knees with my face buried in the blanket. And I had this image, this sort of simultaneous image. One was this very dark, something being, I would almost like equate it to like a grim reaper type of thing that was standing over me and completely shadowing everything and isolating me from everyone around me. I was completely alone. And this thing being energy, darkness was just pushing me into the mud. I, I could practically feel mud on my face and smell just mulch and, and grime. and um, And I felt completely alone. There was no accessing me. And then I had another image that was standing behind me, strong warrior women holding my back and pushing me up and behind them were more women and behind them and back and back and back into infinity and i knew intuitively that these were my ancestors the women in in my past that i don't even know holding me and telling me that this was okay and this was normal hmm. another thing that stands out was the idea of surrender i've always i've always related to pain and challenge as manageable when you can surrender. If you can just surrender to it, it it doesn't have power over you. I was beyond surrender, and I've never experienced that before. There was no surrendering in this with this level of pain and exhaustion.
0: And so, what do you mean? There's no surrendering? Like you were still fighting it? You couldn't? It was
1: it, yeah, I was fighting it, and and it was gripping me,
0: like that that image that you had of the grim reaper gripping you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. And the dying. I also remember, go ahead.
1: The dying was one part just fear and being consumed by my pain. I remember telling my midwife, "I can't do this anymore." Uh, now this was when I had started pushing. I also had a really big journey with my pushing. I pushed for three hours. The average is like thirty to forty-five minutes um, because my son was getting stuck um, on my pelvis. So I would push him out and his head would start coming out and then he would contract back in and I'd push and I could feel movement and then he would come back in. And I did that for two and a half hours before any real movement happened. Uh, And this is after 20 hours of, of active labor up until then. The physical part of the death I experienced was at some point during that hours into the pushing, telling my midwife, I can't do this anymore. Like literally, like I'm Give me a lifeline. I can't do this anymore. I am dying and something needs to change. And she, every time I said that would come back to me and say, you're doing it. You're doing it. You are doing it. This is labor. You're doing it. I also found out later, um, when, when we processed that she said she was going to let me push for two more hours. So she felt completely in control that whole time.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> Woo, old woman. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So So when she says that to you, she says, you're doing it. And you feel like, I can't do it anymore. I'm dying here. W- what happened? Were you able to find another... Like, Oh, okay. I am actually doing this Is what it's supposed to be and push on for a while or what happened?
1: No. Yeah. I had no, there was no mental part of me that met that moment with strength. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it was just this, you're on a train and you can't stop it. So I, my body took over, I guess my body was still there and doing it, but in my mind I was dying. That was the, the real, like the grappling with death piece, um, on a, in a conscious way, the, the, more so wait, hold on. I'm
0: sorry. So you're yeah, there please. in the middle in the crux of the birthing moment and in your mind yes. you're dying.
1: Yes. I thought I was dying. I well, thought there was no way my body was gonna do this.
0: And you're experiencing dying, essentially, because you think you're dying, yeah. you feel like you're dying.
1: Yeah, maybe was close like the closest thing to a near-death experience I've ever had. So, Isn't that so a, weird? It's it, I was it, just birthing such... a baby. People do this every four seconds every day, and I died.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, you thought you were dying, and obviously, clearly, you didn't. What do you feel like actually was dying now that you went through it?
1: Oh, see, I got chills when you asked that. And that, that this was the metaphysical piece that didn't come until later in processing the labor experience. What was dying was the self who I was before being a mother and it sounds really sort of empty and cliché when i say it out loud like that but it's so so true for me i became a different person and there's no going back to who i was before my entire consciousness body heart soul shifted into a new way of being and and toward a new being that moment. And so I had to die to do that. I'm so clear on that now. I could not have mothered <laughs> as who I was before <laughs> I went through labor. It, it would not have happened.
0: Can we talk about the old Jen for a minute and a little bit totally. what she was like and why she wasn't ready for motherhood and, and why yeah. she had to be released?
1: Ooh, I wonder if I have those answers. It's very intuitive for me.
0: We'll see what percolates, percolates. And if nothing percolates, we'll move on
1: yeah something that's coming to mind this is totally like unedited. and maybe the first time i've I've seen this is um I was very altruistic but not not truly selfless. I didn't know what humility or selflessness was until giving my life away to to a child. I thought that I was I probably would have said that I was a selfless person by nature, but um i I didn't know what truly sacrificing yourself for the good of another was. Until I've been doing that for the last four years now.
0: (laughs) Well, and then a really intense initiation of being crushed (laughs) by the labor experience, every idea, oh, I'm an athlete, I'm a whatever you thought you were in your competencies, and just to be torn down to places you didn't even know were there.
1: It's so it's so beautiful to feel it in that way. I don't know if ego is the right word, but when you go through something that Physically and emotionally intense, the labor alone, but then the months and years that have followed as a parent, the things that don't matter fall away because there's nothing excess. You have nothing excess to give. So anything that was surface or somewhat shallow or just not important for your your soul's path, I experienced fell away. So in a way, I wasn't i was I was more of a persona of myself until that moment, (laughs) like there was more excess and, and in some ways it's kind of embarrassing to admit admit that more sort of shallow projection of who I thought I was than depth and truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's right there with everything I've been learning around stress is how Genuine stresses and adversities actually reveal who we are to ourselves. Like, how could you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, maybe certain life circumstances could have fostered some of those deeper self recognitions or a deeper level of selflessness. But, you know, for you and probably for many, many, many mothers, um, that moment of adversity is a, a call that, you know, some people taste. In psychedelic experiences, some people probably growing up in other kinds of adversities of war situations, maybe have an opportunity to recognize a different level of self that doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. get taught at the top level of the cultural foam. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that is a deep encounter and it's really, it's really profound. So now you're carrying a baby around you meet a future client at a a stepping stones
1: uh, day long, (laughs) two weeks, two weeks after that later. Yeah,
0: I know. (laughs) I know. I know. And I did want to say, I just, the sweetness of one of the reasons, and I don't know if you would have said the same thing three weeks earlier, had we met, but there was a naturalness in the way you talked about writing and a naturalness Mm -hmm. in the way you talked about the capacity to be a writer is once you spoke, I felt, oh, I trust this person to find that part in me that said, okay, yeah, mm. I, she trusts the human being enough to say, yes, it's possible rather mm. than some kind of, you know, perceived threshold that one that I wasn't sure that I had the substance of, you know, even Mm -hmm. though, even though language and journaling and writing and poetry have always been part of my life in varied ways. So, um, so that's how I saw you. So then here you are coming into motherhood. You've been through this initiation. You've you're in this new passage. You've radically changed. Are the rights equal to what you went through? <laughs> you know are the rituals around it it's implicit you know obviously the grandmothers and the mothers and the aunties and the friends are like ooh ah wow you're amazing look at you and and mm-hmm. doing those kind of support things but what was that what was that next phase like
1: hmm i'm trying to go where there's so many places I could go with this next year. Or just ignore
0: my question. And just if you had something else going, just go with whatever you're doing.
1: Yes, something was coming up. Something's arising with all this. I mentioned this, like this, maybe this is unrelatable for people who haven't been through this journey. But one of the great lessons for me in this, and I don't want to just be like waxing poetic about big philosophical concepts, but it is, it's true for me. And it's related to your to your podcast and your gift with your work and your writing and that's what i learned about myself and and what i went through with that extremely significant passage for me is such a beautiful metaphor for how i feel like we as a species are in this transition right now there's this one piece that i shared about the pushing the like birth canal part of it where I would push and make progress and then and then my son would retract and I'd have to, it felt like start all over again and I'd make progress and retract. And I feel like that's where we've been culturally, especially in this country for a long, long time now. We're in this like, it feels like we're making progress, but then there are these huge painful contractions um, and we have to start again. And then I was specifically thinking about it recently in the relationship to this idea of awakening, like awakening human consciousness that I've, I've used that word a lot. And I, I resonate with the idea of it. Other than awakening, you have this image of like a someone at peace, resting, sleeping, and then like slowly opening their eyes. And now they see things they couldn't see before. And it's all beautiful and romantic. And what, how I actually experience this transition that we're in, um, we humans, and frankly, the whole earth is a birth process, Mm -hmm. right? It's a a rebirth and it's intense and it's painful and it's physical. And it is pushing us up to these thresholds that we didn't even know were there. And, and, and it takes effort and courage and feels like it's killing us. (laughs) but that there is, there is new life on the other side of that.
0: That's powerful. And it's helpful because some early experiences I've had or in my life when I was in college and a friend gave birth to a child and I witnessed it was there there's just such a great reversal around the pain avoidance mm. relationship, right? So just instinctually yeah, pain avoidance. I should avoid this pain. Cause obviously pain's not good for me, but with birth, mm-hmm. it's a radically different equation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think it is helpful to think of our condition in that most ancient passage. I mean, one of the notes I made to myself is, yeah, like we talk about moms all the time. We have mother's day. We know that moms are vital to society in so many ways, but it's also that particular experience you know who knows how much of who we are and what we know about life has come through those teachings right, right. in terms of probably from,
1: probably the most important things <laughs>
0: probably the most important things and the earliest you know one of the most amazing parts of the evolutionary story for me that really just blew my mind is as our brain size was enhanced and grew that there was a point where an early hominin human mother could not get enough calories for herself and her baby mm-hmm. on her own in a day which mm. meant that as the brain size grew we needed village wow right Ooh. that we needed it's like it suddenly it wasn't just like okay there's a a mother you know not obviously not a chimpanzee but that early hominin ancestor who was like oh this is actually a group project now and then here we are in a way you know and this is how we started the podcast a little bit it kind of is falling back to you know we have this massive brain size each we need to feed and yet there is a kind of way in which the village isn't there and there is a kind Mm -hmm. of mismatch with how we live our lives but that Mm -hmm. but that particular you know teaching is at the source of most initiations most rituals you know and so it's really Absolutely. it's really really lovely to have you here today just talking about your birth your first birth experience and mm-hmm. talking about the the depths of that of of the dying inside of that and the psychedelic aspects to it and the the loss of a whole part of how you knew yourself i mean it really is amazing i'm i really loving this
1: yeah it's making me think to this what i'm calling this like rebirth of humanity and our awakening it's an evolution I know this from your work. We don't evolve without these like vital stressors and, and demands on our energy and, and learning how to say yes to those and go into those and adapt to those.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you. and And, and it, it's, it's a territory. I mean, it is it is a big territory to look at our human condition and be like, yeah, these are the adversities that we are in. I mean, I'm, suddenly Joseph Campbell's coming to mind and talking about the new myth for our time, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 how Star Wars was kind of an inkling towards we are in a completely different place than we were 60 years ago, 80 years ago, definitely 150 years ago, definitely 300, 500. And so, and there's a lot of us, (laughs) you know, there's a billions and billions of humans on the planet who all have energy needs, relationship needs, you know, and, and, and it is not clean. It is not perfect. And, and so I'm really loving the, the, the birth metaphor and the truth of the birth teaching as a way for us to to hold that. So thank you for presencing that. I don't know if there's more Mm -hmm. that you have on your mind around that in terms of, well, here's my question. If you were to take your birth experience and just say to the listeners, like, Hey, when I went through this passage around birth, this is what I learned, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and how would we apply that to a guy, you know, someone who's not having kids in terms of thinking about our
1: time. Uh, I I was going to say that women are the strongest creatures on this planet, but that doesn't necessarily apply to the, the men and the dads. No, I think it does. Um, well, I can say that without, um, making a joke of it. Just, it was, it made, it made me respect myself and all women in a way that I never had before that I was able to go through that. That was, that was definitely a lesson, a learning.
0: No, that's actually good because I was into (laughs) baseball quite a bit when my oldest daughter was born and I watched my mm. wife give birth and I was like, you know, hitting home runs kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's pretty awesome. <laughs> but like, why don't you give birth Barry Bonds? You know, let's see what you got <laughs> really, you know, and it's a gold medal right. event that happens, like you said, every four seconds. Yes. And, and And there's no obvious gold medal kind of acknowledgement. So actually I, I kind of like what you said, because when I, when I think about that, when I think about a society that sees this deep, ancient strength in women, mm. that, that actually is, is actually a really nice recipe for yeah. how we get through this, because, you know, if we just go with a polarized hypermasculine or imbalanced society. Yeah. I don't think we get through this birth the same way without the strength of women. I like that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. You, are you familiar with the Sundance tradition in Lakota?
0: To a small degree.
1: I've been to one, it's a four day ritual where the dancers um, abstain from food and water. They are dancing on and off basically 12 hours a day in direct sun and praying. And Traditionally, this has changed um, in the one that I went to, but um, women were not required to do the Sundance because they were said to have experienced that level of transformation and pain and sacrifice in labor. And my other understanding is that it wasn't just women who had kids or who had been through birth. No women were required to do it because in a way it was honoring and acknowledging that the strength and wisdom and sacrifice Of
0: all women. It actually brings up the question of men's initiations and what men need, what they need in order to have that same level of dying, right? That same level of without giving birth. How do we get men to that level of recognition past, say, their, you know, their earlier developmental sense of themselves and their ego that may not be fully grounded?
1: I don't know. Maybe all men should do a sun dance. Should <laughs> go for days without food or water and dance in the hot sun. Um, but I think what, what was striking me more about that, and why I shared that, is just uh, what a culture looks like that does honor the innate contribution of women to its community. Yeah, that's that's what I really loved about that tradition.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sitting with that. I'm, I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking about I'm just in my mind's eye, I'm imagining the dance. And I'm imagining the intensity of it. And I'm imagining the relationship and I'm imagining in some part, you know, the necessity for men to find their, their rituals that are equivalent to the mm-hmm. teaching of birth, mm-hmm. and, or of birth and death. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that's a serious human issue. Right. And there's lots yeah. of anthropologists who who can talk at greater lengths than I can, you know, as, as someone who's a very amateur student at these levels. But I've heard other people say that, you know, that a lot of initiation rituals w- were to actually mimic the birth experience, you know, in certain cultures, I'm not surprised. certain cultures shared. I can't name which one where men would actually mimic the birth experience in order to embody some of that transformative energy that was taking place with the birth mother.
1: This is going back to me, for me, to something that you said earlier, which is, but maybe in a bigger way, the sort of tendency and pattern of human modern humans being very pain averse and avoiding pain at all costs. And I don't know that there is any one ritual that would work across the board for all people to, Initiate themselves, but I do, from my experience, it is simply the willingness to go into discomfort, pain, even trauma, darkness, and the depth of your own um, sort of hidden, unexamined reality Mm -hmm. that that creates the initiation. And I don't think we can avoid that, but without the context that encourages us to step into it bravely and willingly, I think most people experience passages as sort of happening to them and they get angry at fate or God or, or life or whatever it is, or another person.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think we're at the doorstep of your other passage we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Are we not? And then yeah, you're actually, you're actually you're, <laughs> I was, because we were going to this really like expansive, you know, planetary <laughs> view on humanity. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. But I love staying close to the stories of my guests. And, and I think we're here. Yeah. Would you be open?
1: Yeah, I'm open to sharing.
0: So you went through a dark passage yourself. And it, you sound like when you were sharing that you're actually speaking from direct experience about encountering a really hard time in your own life that I I would imagine was quite a bit different than the birth story that you shared. If you would be willing to open up about that, I'd love to hear about it.
1: Yeah. It's hard to articulate it in a way that's going to make sense to a lot of people. And I, I would bet anyone with, who's been through a dark night of the soul would say something similar because it's not like there was one big, it wasn't like a walkabout. It wasn't going through labor. It wasn't even a single vision quest. So I've done, I've done fasting in the desert too. It was a period of time in my like mid and late twenties where I came into the understanding that I was just sharing that I had been somewhat, not only living in a bubble. I mean, I grew up, in an extremely privileged place in an extremely privileged family and way. So um, I think some people experience their dark nights of the soul when they're not ready for it and in a much more traumatic way. But I was at a time in my life that I was aware that I had been living in a bubble and sort of in, like I was saying about before I went through labor as this persona of myself, because I was so pain avoidant. I was never able to get to depth or truth because there's always pain involved in depth and truth in mining the goods of the soul. And I, with the support of teachers and friends and books that were extremely impactful on me and my now husband kind of just had this continual prayer to the universe that I was ready to go down into the abyss and find myself no matter what it took.
0: And how'd that happen when you went down? Was it just an emotional, <laughs> yeah. mental down? Or was there, <laughs> did, you create, well, there did some, you create ritual around it? Yeah.
1: I'm I'm feeling, okay. I wasn't sure that I wanted to share this because I, um, you shared with me that you've had two poet laureates on the podcast, <laughs> but I actually years later was able to write a poem about it. And I would still call it in draft form, but I feel like, it'll be easier to share the poem and then talk about kind of the more practical ways that, okay. that played out. If
0: it makes you feel any better, I'm going <laughs> to have you be the how humans work poet laureate for season two.
1: Okay. How do, <laughs> you can just give me that title. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. All I'll right. You're there. You're on. This is titled Jonah and the whale. Then came the day when the voice that dwells in the timeless cave wouldn't stop calling, saying, you must abandon the notion of what your life ought to be and dive into the frightening wilderness of your own self. It's the only way to go home again. I couldn't turn away. I bid the self and world I had always known, a final farewell, praying, if I must leave a trace on this tortured earth, let me also leave a lesson. I wandered the streets of my own heart, burrowed into the most secret corners where all the hideous creatures live. I gazed into the mirror I never wanted to see. I danced with despair, addiction, dysphoria, disillusionment, dishonesty, terrible choices, sticky, messy love, death after death after death, and found these are the things that give me shape. These are the stories I'm trying to tell. I want my pain to have a purpose. I want to explode myself so I can try to reassemble all the parts with words. I've done a pretty good job of it. I've stood at the event horizon. I've stared down the cavern of the ugliest abyss and knowingly jumped in. I've hollered for the whale and begged for her to eat me, but to please keep me in one piece as she swallows so I can make a bed in her belly. I lost a few limbs on the way down, the dispensable ones. I am fractured now. I am lopsided. I've forgotten what grace looks like. It didn't have to be this way. I'm so glad it is. I brought it on myself. The pieces will never fit back together again. Not perfectly as they've grown, shrunk, changed shape, become their own specimen of wisdom and soul. I will use gold filament to sew myself back together so that now, after all this time, broken and haphazardly stitched up seam by seam, I will shine. The poem for me speaks to the more important part of the truth than maybe the details of the story, but I'm happy to share those too, especially if it's helpful for anyone who's on that precipice and not sure that they're ready to make that leap. But for me, it looked like quitting what was a dream job for me, at least surface mental. (laughs) Um, I was working at a publishing company and I still love them. I still love all my coworkers, but for whatever reason, I guess because it wasn't my soul path, I was feeling extremely unfulfilled. And so I quit my job. I had never, I'd been in school my whole life, four years of college, started my first job out of college just weeks after graduating, had worked full-time for five years straight, and and then quit. <laughs> and I had a really beautiful vision when I quit. I had tiny bit of money saved up. And so I moved to the mountains, moved in with my then boyfriend, now husband and baby daddy. (laughs) We had this vision with a friend of starting a sort of eco spiritual retreat center. Um, though none of us had any real business experience, just had a beautiful vision. He had a property, a little bit of land and the experiment completely failed. (laughs) We never found a way to work and live together. We never, um, well, while, while I was there, we weren't able to build this like beautiful intentional community that we were envisioning. It turned into tension and anger extremely quickly. During that time, I also gave myself six weeks and I went to Spain and walked the Camino de Santiago, the pilgrimage. And that was a, a sort of a breath of air and a peak in this sort of downward spiral soul journey I was on where I got to, I, I got the view from the top of the mountain. And so bringing that back into this very toxic situation, um, after having given up all my security and this like path that I had been on since really, since I was a child of success and career and, um, wealth, I don't know, maybe even fame someday. Um, it was um, it was the belly of the whale for me. We ended up leaving the retreat center and just sort of meandering around different parts of California for many months. And I was so lost. I was so, even though I had been calling on, you know, life to give me a, an initiation, I thought it was going to be a lot more glamorous. Uh, it turned out it wasn't, it didn't feel like a, you know, a hero on the hero's journey or on some grand adventure, I felt like I had failed myself and my family and the desires and expectations I had for my life. And it was really only years later, as I sort of slowly walked back out of that abyss with a lot of intention and care and sort of loving myself and licking my wounds that I saw how, important and powerful the leap and the crash was Mm. in Mm -hmm. in allowing me to be my full self. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, (laughs) that's beautiful. I, what I love about that. And what I hear as I listen to it is there was a kind of program that was running your life.
1: Absolutely. That's a great way to put it.
0: (laughs) And the program, you know, privilege, whatever the program was was running and yeah, and it stopped working.
1: <laughs> it hadn't been working for a long time, but it's so that's this is the thing about the lack of rights in our passages. It's so hard to see what's not working when you're so in it. When you've yes. been drinking the Kool-Aid
0: or yes. been been
1: been shot up with the Kool-Aid from day one, really.
0: Now that's such an interesting distinction because there is a, you know, naturally, if anybody, if I'd met you and be like, Oh, you're, you're doing your, your publishing gig. This is your passion. You know, like Mm -hmm. my, my outward response would be, Oh, support. Great. You're on your way. You know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. how to distinguish the, the programs that are actually functional versus the ones that are maybe just expected or, um, mentally imposed onto the soul. And I, I mean, I guess this is what, uh, uh, troubles for, and this is what problems are for. And this is what bellies of the whales are for is mm-hmm. yeah, we actually do. Um, yeah, we do, we do fall apart. And I, I will say that one of the images I really liked around, I liked your poem a lot and I I'm glad you're the poet laureate of the show. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I really like the gold filament you know? Yeah. Cause there was kind of a, yeah. like, there was kind of a rawness to it. Like you really saw the ugly, the, the disfigured part of, mm-hmm. of ourselves. I, I, I can identify with feeling disfigured inside myself of, I don't have that shape. I can't make that move. I don't know how to, I don't look well. I, something's off and distorted. Mm-hmm. And yet it was gold filament. And I I took that as kind of a precious, not in an elevated way, but a genuinely precious self-love. Like, you know what? Mm. I'm all broken apart, but I'm still going to stitch myself back together with a kind of love. That's how that image landed on me. I really liked
1: it. Yeah. Thank you. I I'll share too that. That was the seed of the whole poem was this idea of stitching myself back together with gold. And it came from the, Japanese practice. I, I want to say it's wabi-sabi, but I might have that wrong mm-hmm. of when something precious breaks a ceramic of glass, instead of throwing it out, traditionally, they glue it back together with gold leaf on the crack line because they believe that it's more beautiful when you can see that it's been used and worn and loved and put back together. And that feels extremely true for the human journey for me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. All music is performed by the incredible and effervescent Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. Please support this podcast by following us on your favorite streaming platform, sharing it with your community and friends, and by making a modest donation to our Patreon page to learn more about this show, our guests, as well as Jeffrey and his work, helping people make peace with their human nature. Go to howhumanswork.us.